0: Can I stand here and watch the sun rise and follow the mountains where they touch the sky upon the vastness and the depths of the sea and think for a moment? The point of it all was to make much of me Cause I'm just a whisper And you are the thunder And I want to make much of you Jesus I want to make much of you love I want to live today To give you the praise That you alone are so worthy of I want to make much of your mercy I want to make much of your cross I give you my life Take it and let it be used To make much of you And how can I kneel here And think of the cross The thorns and the whip And the nails and the spear The infinite cost To purchase my pardon And bear all my shame I have anything worth posting in Except for your name Cause I am a sinner And you are the Savior And I want to make much of you, Jesus I want to make much of your love I want to live today To give you the praise That you alone are so worthy of I want to make much of your mercy I want to make much of your cross I give you my life and Take it and let it be used To make much of This is your love, oh God Not to make much of me But to send your own son So that we could make much of you For all eternity And I want to make much of you, Jesus I want to make much of your love I want to live today To give you the praise That you known. are so worthy of I want to make much of your mercy I want to make much of your cross I give you my life Take it and let it be used To make my life
1: All right. Uh, good evening to all of you. Could you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter fifteen, verse seven? Romans chapter fifteen, verse seven. Thanks, Keaton, for doing the uh, slide, and also Titus for doing the seat of the sound here. And thank you for showing up here this evening. And looks like we're having a break on the rain. It's going to be a nice day tomorrow, I think, is what I heard. Seventies is what I'm hearing. Beautiful. Boy, I've had enough of this rain. But uh, you know what they say? May showers bring June flowers. <laughs> So, anyway, so that should be good. Good to be good. So um, we're rolling right along in uh, in Romans. Uh, we're uh, going to be in Romans 15:7 this evening. That's why I have you there. And we're going to see that uh, Paul is going to issue another command to the Romans, and this time it's going to be to both the weak and the strong. And he's going to tell them to continue welcoming each other, just as uh, or because Christ welcomed them into the family of God for the purpose of glorifying the Father. And we're going to see, it's interesting, it's kind of a weird sentence set up the way it is, but it sounds like Paul in this verse, we're going, to, we're going to go into it, why it's my interpretation of it. I'm going to show you why it's kind of an unusual sentence. And Paul has some really quirky things that he does in the original language and uh, in the Greek. So this is one of those quirky passages where, you know, if you look at Romans 15 7, it says, Therefore accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of of God. So he's talking about, it sounds like he's saying uh, Christ accepted us to the glory of God. So we're to welcome one another because Christ accepted us to the glory of God. Actually he's saying, accept one another to glorify God. It's actually interesting how accept one another, that command is connected to the last phrase, the purpose clause there, the prepositional phrase, to the glory of God. So it's kind of interesting. So there's a couple little quirky things about this passage and. When we, and when we look at it and when we see at the, end of the, at the at the end of the service, when we sum everything up, we're going to see that um, it's pretty awesome because he's telling the Roman believers that, you know, we've just been, you know, Romans 14, the first six verses of Romans 15, he's talking about welcoming each other, being loving each other, being patient and tolerant of each other, you know, uh, not using your freedom to hurt the weaker believer, you strong believers, and so, and he's telling not to condemn each other for your convictions that are related to non-essentials, which we've noted in detail. And then he's basically going to sum it all up, that whole passage that began in Romans 14.1 and ended in Romans 15.6. Uh, he actually sums it up right here in this verse. And he's saying to them, I want you both the weak and the strong to welcome each other into your fellowship, have fellowship with each other. And I want you to do it because Christ accepted you into the family of God. And, and I want you to accept one another, I want you to accept one another because it's going to bring glory to God. Christ accepted you and, and to the family of God, therefore you should accept one another. And then he says, and that will bring, when you accept one another, and you do that by operating in love toward each other, you will bring glory to God. And we'll see that that means manifesting the character and nature of God, and, and importantly, uh, specifically, the love of God. So, as we've been bringing out in Romans 14 and the first six, uh, six verses of Romans 15, Paul's calling primarily the strong to operate in love toward each other. Now in verse verse 7, he's going to say both groups are to operate in love toward each other. So, what we, the implication we're going to see is that if you don't accept one another and you, you won't have fellowship with certain believers because of certain non-essentials, uh, like observance of certain days or you know a translation or a hat you know the things we've been bringing up or dietary laws i mean if you're going to if you're going to break apart over that you're really not operating in the love of god and i've been uh, pointing out as we go along the way that there are many reasons why the church divides and there're disunity in churches and sometimes it's good to have a, 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 a church breaks and splits because it actually john, uh, john mentions that Uh, that uh, it it brings out who is approved by God and who is not. So uh, that's what it manifests many times. But a lot of times there's disunity and there's, of course, divisions in Christianity throughout the centuries because, one, there's a devil. We all have a sin nature. Two, Another reason is that we're not paying attention to the Scriptures. We're not following the Scriptures. We're not being diligent in our study of the Scriptures and not applying it. So those are the reasons. And when we're not doing that, we're not operating in the love of God toward each other that is the main cause of disunity is that we don't operate in love toward each other and uh, we don't know how to love each other because we don't know the Bible so that's what my main thrust here is one of the things that God has had me to do is to show us, you know, how to love each other and and I'm trying to do that not only with the teaching but also with the example I'm supposed to set an example of that so when God brings in some crazy characters like Sharon and you see how graciously I handled Sharon (laughs) Then you can say, oh, he's doing a good job loving him up, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, So, Anyways, but this is, is going to be a cool verse. And we're getting toward the end of the main argument of the epistle. And that's going to end in verse 13. And then we go into the final, final uh, uh, Paul sends, has some miscellaneous items to complete the epistle. And there's a lot of cool things in the end of the epistle. So um, this is what we'll be studying here this evening, Romans fifteen seven. So without further ado... Well, let's take that moment of silent prayer as we normally do. And for those who might be listening to this class for the first time or listening to this ministry for the first time in the teaching, whether it's on the internet or CD, uh, this is for you, this, the next few moments, what I'm gonna say, because I know everybody in the, in, on PAL Talk who's regulars and here in the chapel knows what I'm talking about. We take that moment of silent prayer to prepare ourselves to hear what the Spirit's gonna say to us through the teaching of the Word of God. And that means we apply 1 John 1 9 if necessary which states if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins with the result that He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. Now when we do that, uh, once we've done that, God the Father is restoring us to fellowship with Himself because of who Jesus is and and specifically what He did at the cross for us. So uh, just as He accepted us into the family of God and declared us justified, the Father, when He declared us justified, it was on the merits of Christ and what he did for us at the cross. In the same way, you're restored to fellowship through confession of sin based upon the merits of Christ and his death, physical and spiritual deaths at the cross. Now, uh, the reason why we have to confess our sins, yes, we receive the forgiveness of our sins as believers the minute we trusted in Jesus as Savior. The reason we need to confess the sin, these sins after conversion to Christianity through faith in Christ is because of fellowship. Christian fellowship can, is, a, is a dynamic uh, we don't have our resurrection bodies yet, so the, we we're not uh, we have a sin nature still, so we're still liable to. Uh, it's very much uh, possible, and in fact, it happens all the time that we live in our sin nature. So, therefore, we need to use First John one nine, and for the sake of fellowship, we need to confess our sins. And uh, and also uh, another thing I want to throw out there, and I and I like to take these moments to do that, to address certain things that I hear going on in Christianity that people let me know about. And then uh, some teaching out there. It's, it's, a lot of people say, well, you know, Paul never said confess your sins. You know, they, Paul never confessed sins. Well, Paul doesn't use the same terminology as the Apostle John uh, did. Uh, and John said uh, homo logeo. Paul called it judging the body rightly in 1 Corinthians 11. In fact, he says if you don't judge the body rightly, which is referring to confession of sin then you're going to be under discipline. That's what he talks about to the Corinthians, that many of them were under discipline and some had died. They suffered dying discipline and they went home to be with the Lord under dying discipline and that's because they did not judge the body rightly. They were observing the Lord's table while they were drunk, some of them. And so Paul was all upset with them. You think we have it bad sometimes, but he had it a lot worse in Corinth, I think. But anyways, so we see this is... Um, this is so important. So, Paul doesn't use, like I don't use, like, like for instance, um, Bob Thien used the terminology and Bob McLaughlin uses the terminology of rebound, they call it. It's, for, it's a synonym for, uh, for confession of sin. I don't use that terminology because I don't feel led by God to use that. But when, you, when I say confession is sin, you guys know what I'm talking about. Now, if I go, you know, some of them going to some of their ministries, they might not, might not know. They might just know, what do you mean? Oh, rebound, okay. So we all use different terminology, as long as we're talking about the same biblical doctrine. Now, the, the, so John, he uses homo in 1 John one nine. Paul calls it judging the body rightly in 1 Corinthians 11. And also in Ephesians 4, he talks about putting off, in Colossians, he talks about putting off the old man. That's basically, the implication is the confession of sin. So if you're going to put off the old man, the sin nature, that would involve the confession of sin. So Paul doesn't use John's terminology exactly. He doesn't need to. He doesn't have to. And, he, and, and so uh, he knew his terminology and his people hurt, understood it and he taught them correctly. And it was actually very much understood by Paul and the, all the apostles who were steeped in the Old Testament. Confession of sin, it was all over the Old Testament. In fact, uh, we might even study this in the Day of the Lord series about the millennial sacrifices and the purpose for them. But you know know that those Levitical offerings in the first seven chapters of Leviticus were for born again for Israelites who were already saved. That was the Exodus generation that those sacrifices were given to. So when God was in their presence, he dwelt in the tabernacle, right? And the pillar of cloud and and during the day and the pillar of fire at night. God's presence was there. So in order to to stay ceremonially pure in the presence of God they had to go through these ritual sacrifices. And a lot of that times it had to do with, conf- involved confession of sin. Putting your hands on the animal as it was identifying your sins with the animal and the animal was sacrificed to deal with your sins. So the sacrifices, were talking about sanctification for the, the, the Israelites. And so we see that even in the Old Testament, confession of sin was a basic doctrine. That was the first step to having fellowship in the Old Testament was the confession of sin and it was taught in the Levitical sacrifices. So, uh, this is, uh, and David talked about it in the Psalms. So, this is a very important time because we can't hear what the Spirit's saying to the church if we're out of fellowship with God. Now, once we've done that, that's the first step. Because if we confess our sins, this is important, don't miss this. Because even pastors have screwed this up. Some pastors that some people are actually listening to, okay, that I know are listening to these people. And they don't even get this straight. It's obvious. It's, it's ridiculous. Once you confess your sin, that puts you back in fellowship with God. But if you go right back to sinning again, you're out of fellowship. And you do that by thinking wrong. So the filling of the Spirit has to do with what you're thinking. You have to think according to what the Spirit says in the Word of God. So once you confess your sin, that's called rebound. And recovery is being filled with the Spirit, staying in fellowship with God, so we maintain our fellowship with God by bringing our thoughts into obedience to what the Spirit says, and He speaks to us through the Word of God. He inspired the Scriptures. Second Peter 1.20 and twenty one. We study this in Romans eight five and six, which describes the mechanics of how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, submitting to what the Spirit says to us. So this is a very important time. Confess the sin, and then we get a, we stay in fellowship. By bringing our thoughts in obedience to what the Spirit says Through the teaching of the Word of God That is when we're being filled with the Holy Spirit As we saw last evening That's synonymous with letting the Word of Christ richly dwell in your soul Commanded of us in Colossians 3.16 And as we've seen many times in the past The results of obeying those commands Are pretty much the same And we know that they're, they're, they're synonymous Because the Spirit inspired the Word of God So if you're obeying the Word of God which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, you're obeying the Spirit, and vice versa. So this is so important that we understand that. It's really not rocket science here. It's really very, very, very basic. Yet it's very easy to overlook something that's... Uh, the, the, the fundamentals of the Christian faith and the fundamentals of having fellowship. And too many times, I, there are believers who have sat under ministries like this. I've seen them for 10, 15 years. And then... They, st- they, do- they get fall- involved in false doctrine and they don't even know these things anymore. And that, yet they sat under these ministries, just like our own, which taught these things of how to, to get into fellowship after, you, uh, after you've sinned. What do you do? And how to stay in fellowship. There are a lot of believers have been taught that for de- uh, 10, 10 years, 15 years that I knew. And yet now they don't believe that stuff that you have to confess your sin. All screwed up. They don't understand The basics of the spiritual life, and 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 so before we can before we can go into the depth the deep things of Christ, we always have to first always remember and go back over these basic things. So don't we don't lose the fundamentals because it's very easy for us to do that. Paul actually did that in the Roman Epistle. Many of the things the Roman believers already knew, he said. I'm just reminding you. All right, with that being said, I know it might be boring to some of you in here, but it, it, it shouldn't be because it's important because I guarantee you, God, uh, God will allow us to be tested for these things and bring in somebody who's teaching some kind of crazy thing and will test us to see if we'll adhere to the doctrine that we've been taught. All right, so you should be at Romans 15:7. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for another day, another day to gather together with each other as members of the royal family of God. We thank you for those who are in the chapel here this evening and those who might be listening on PAL Talk at this time and others who will be viewing this class or listening to it at a later date, whether through our website or uh, through the CDs. And we just thank you for each and every one of them who have taken time out to learn of your plan, to hear what you have to say about life and to see what... uh, you have planned for them, and we just thank you in how you want us to operate, how you want us to function toward each other and toward you. And we just thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you so much, Father, that we have the Bible, the completed canon of Scripture, scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And we know, Father, that no other generations in the past of believers who are your children and part of your covenant people or part of the church didn't have all of these books ...that we have in front of us today, the completed canon of Scripture, the Bible. So we know that we're a privileged group of individuals, and we just thank you, Father, for the men and women... ...that you've raised up throughout the centuries that are responsible for the fact that we have this Bible in front of us. And we thank you for all the, the great scholars throughout the history uh, of the church... ...with uh, and and Jerome and Athanasius and all of these individuals. We thank you, Father, for every single one of them, and of course the one who made it all possible for us to have the scriptures, the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for his making it understandable to us, the word of God. We thank you so much for the gift of your son and your great sacrifice and his great sacrifice at the cross of Calvary. And we just pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would continue to give us insight into the person of your son and also his work on the cross and his spiritual and physical deaths and also His resurrection. And we thank You for raising us up and seating us with Him at Your right hand through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We thank You for adopting us into the the royal family of God, Roman style, and all the wonderful blessings that we now have as members of the royal family of God. Thank You for giving us a plan and a purpose in life to become like Your Son. And we thank You for giving us everything that we need, everything necessary, so that we can execute Your plan and bring glory to You and bear fruit to You, Father. So we pray, Father, that you would continue to bless us in this study of the book of Romans and in this chapter and chapter 15 and also this verse this evening. We pray that we would receive insight and understanding from the Holy Spirit into this passage this evening that we're going to study. We pray that the, those in the audience would uh, be, pay, pay uh, strict attention to what will be taught and that the Holy Spirit would speak to each one of them where they're at spiritually in their own walk because we know that we're all at different stages. And so we also pray that you would give grace to the communicator so that he might fulfill the purpose for which you gave him the gift of teaching, that he might impart your full counsel to your people this evening in a fashion that would minister to your people, bring glory to you and your Son, Jesus Christ, and cause us to all grow in the unity of the faith, the Christian faith. So, Father, we pray for these things and these people in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, as I noted earlier, we're going to note... Uh, Romans 15.7 and Paul in this passage as I also noted earlier commands the Roman believers both the weak and the strong to continue making, their ha- making it their habit of welcoming each other because Christ welcomed all of them in his fellowship and family for the purpose of glorifying the Father. Now if you look at Romans 15.7 he says, Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Now, this word, therefore, the very first word in your text, that's the word "theo," and that word is used in the Greek here to denote that that the inference or the conclusion that Paul's presenting here in Romans fifteen seven is based upon his teaching in Romans fourteen one, all the way to Romans fifteen six. It's a this verse here is a self evident conclusion. It's a summarization of his statements and Romans 15.1, all, all the way to Romans 15.6. Look at Romans 14, 1, please. Romans 14, 1. Paul says, in Romans 14, 1, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Obviously talking to the strong. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. That's the, the weak believer, of course. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt. The one who does not eat, that's the weak and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats the strong for God has accepted him the strong who are you to judge the servant of another to his own master he stands or falls and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand one person regards one day above another that would be the weak and another regards every day alike that the being the strong each person must be fully convinced in his own mind he who observes the day observes it for the Lord And he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. But you... Why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Remember, we saw that basically he's saying, let the Lord be the evaluator of each other's service. Don't let the, the weak go not to evaluate The service to the Lord of the strong And vice versa Let the Lord be the judge Of whose service is acceptable or not He is the one there everybody's accountable to Both weak and strong Verse 13 Therefore let us not judge one another anymore But rather determine this And now he's speaking to the strong primarily Let's not put an obstacle or a stumbling block In a brother's way Now he talks to the weak here I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus That nothing is unclean in itself Then he goes back to the strong. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, that would be the weak, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy or cause, as we saw, cause your weaker brother to lose fellowship with your food for him for whom Christ died. Don't use your freedom to eat all foods, the unclean meat, in the presence of the weak so that he tries to live by your convictions. And when he does so, He sins in his own mind, because he doesn't have your convictions that he can eat all foods. Then he goes on to say, in verse 16, Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. Why? For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not about what you eat or what you drink. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace in the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean. That's another addressing the weak there. As he, so he's telling the strong to love your weaker brother by abstaining from, abstaining, uh, from uh, uh, eating all foods, unclean meat. And he's, telling, he's educating at the same time the weaker brother that you can eat all foods. So, great teacher here, as you all can see. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine, or to do anything by which your brother stumbles, causes him to stin. That's what the word stumble there is talking about. The faith which you have, the conviction, the word faith there, remember, means conviction, have as your own conviction before God. Now, you see the word conviction there? There's no two different words there, okay? So, the faith which you have is the same word. Faith is the same word as conviction. So, uh, he says, the faith or the conviction which you have is your own before God. In fact, conviction there is not even translating a word in the original. He just says It says this, the conviction which you have, have is your own before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he he eats. Because why? His eating is not from conviction. Conviction from the Holy Spirit. And whatever is not from conviction from the Holy Spirit... Is sin to that person. Don't miss what he says in the next verse. No chapter break in the original. Continuing the thought. Now we who are strong, now he's going to start talking about, okay, strong believers, here's your example to follow. I want you to deny yourself, sacrifice your freedom to eat all foods in the presence of the weak, and here's your example. Your Lord and Savior, He did the same. He, he He sacrificed for the good of others. Verse 1 of Romans 15. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification, spiritual his spiritual growth. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now he explains why he quoted Psalm 69 nine nine there. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, the Christian's instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures as we saw produced by the Scriptures, we might have not hope but confidence. Now may the the God, that being the Holy Spirit as we saw, who gives perseverance and encouragement through the Scriptures, grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to what? Christ Jesus, as we saw last evening, His teaching. Then he goes on to say, "He has the purpose for this. So that with one accord, you may with one voice, both weak and strong, Jew and Gentile, glorify thee, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the Father's plan from eternity past. He's going to have Jew and Gentile glorify him, praise him, serve him, worship him through Jesus Christ and worship his Son. And Christ came to unite. He, Christ did many things at the cross, one of which was to unite Jew and Gentile. Remember, there was tremendous animosity between Jew and Gentile, great cultural divide between Jew and Gentile, and and that was mainly because of the Pharisees and their teaching. And so we see that Christ came to unite both the Jew and Gentile in himself. And create a new man. This is what Paul taught and remember, in Ephesians chapter 2, 12 through 22, we saw, uh, 21, we saw that when we studied the book of Ephesians. So that's a tremendous statement that's being said here. And now he says in verse 7, therefore, the word is theo in the, in the Greek. That means the statement I'm about to say, the thing I'm about to say, and the command I'm about to issue to you here in verse 7 is a result of an inference from what we just read. Therefore. Accept one another, just as, or as, as we'll see, because Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. So the word therefore theo is a is introducing a statement, a command, actually. That's a result of an inference from his teaching in Romans fourteen one, all the way to Romans fifteen six. Then he says accept. That's the word. It's the present middle imperative form, so it's a command. Imperative mood means it's a command. It's the present middle imperative form of the verb proslambano, which means here, to welcome into one's fellowship. And it's used here, both the weak and the strong. How do I know that? How do I know it's between both the weak and the strong that he's issuing this? Because it's indicated by the very, it's indicated by the statement to follow one another. A loan, And the loan translated one another in your Bibles, is always used, and that previous pericope, Pericope is a section of scripture, a couple of paragraphs, that's concentrating on a particular subject. So Romans 14.1, all the way to Romans 15.6, this pronoun, a reciprocal pronoun, alone translated one another in your Bibles, is always used of a relationship between both the weak and the strong in Rome. Therefore, the second person plural form of the verb, which we would translate all of you, That second person plural form refers to both the weak and the strong. So when he's issuing this command here, we know why he's talking, who he's talking to. Not just the strong, he's talking to the weak and the strong. How do we know that? One another. One another is always used in the previous uh, passage in relation to both, a relationship between both the weak and the strong. Their interaction with each other. It talks about fellowship, the communication aspect and reciprocal aspect of God's love reciprocity it talks about being uh, uh, operating in love toward each other and interacting with each other by operating in God's love so the middle voice remember i told you the verbs in the middle voice that's important to us because it's focusing uh, focusing attention on the responsibility of the roman christians both the weak and the strong to welcome each other into their fellowship so it's it's emphasizing the middle voice if you were a Greek speaking individual back in the first century or you were listening to this you would understand that the middle voice here you'd hear the word being spoken and you'd say oh it's focusing on my responsibility toward my brother the strong would be thinking okay I'm responsible I need to uh, reciprocate I need to operate in love I need to interact with my a Weaker brother in Christ And vice versa So the middle voice Is focusing attention On the responsibility Of the Roman Christians Now don't miss this It says Therefore accept one another That's a command Now if we Think about what In the 21st century How many Christians Are disobeying this command And not accepting one another Over stupid things I won't have fellowship with you Because you won't worship According to the King James Or vice versa Oh you're one of those King James people I can't have fellowship with you or, you, want what you think you have to observe water baptism? Not for salvation, but as a ritual? I can't have fellowship with you. You want to wear a hat to church? I can't have fellowship with you. Or, I wear a hat to church and I can't have fellowship with you because you other ladies don't wear a hat. Now, if you, that is telling you that these people are majoring in the minor who do those things. Paul's saying, I don't want you to major in the minor. I want you to major in the major. What's that? Love. So, that's a command which is being broken every day in Christianity. And Christians are all worried about superficial things instead of what really matters. Love. Learning how to love like God loves and putting it into practice. You know, too many times I hear Christians fighting, bitching and complaining, gossiping about each other, and it's it's sad. It's sad. It's sad. And I even hear people, even who come to our church, who have a problem with other people. And you know what? That's pretty sad. You're not listening to the Holy Spirit. And it, it's a, a sign of immaturity, and it's also a sign of stubbornness. And also it could be because you're not listening to the teaching. You're off in la-la land when I'm teaching. Maybe I should start throwing pencils around and, and start uh, jumping on the pulpit here and teaching against cats and getting somebody's attention. What do I have to do? I think I'm not boring, okay? You should be, I should think I get your attention. So, right there, that is, needs to be applied otherwise we're not operating in love okay so we're to accept one another and in the middle of voice is emphasizing our responsibility we're going to be held accountable it's in the present imperative form this verb pros lumbano, which is translated accept that's a customary present imperative and that indicates that Paul is commanding both the weak and the strong to continue making it their habit of welcoming each other into fellowship it's not begin and do it they were already doing it. How do we know? I bet you you already know what I'm going to say. That's good. Because Romans 1, eight, Romans 15, 14 and 15, and Romans 16.19 all indicate and imply that these Roman believers were already doing everything he told them to do in this epistle. In fact, he says in Romans 15.15, 15, I'm just writing these things to remind you. He actually says in Romans 16 that he rejoiced in their obedience and in Romans sixteen, he says, "You learn these things. Hold your place. Look at Romans 16. And, no, and don't think I'm, I'm I, you know, don't think I'm, I'm shocked it's Christi- that Christians have come to our church and then they, they, you know, they're having problems with other believers. And they don't think that I'm all woke, woke, shook up over that. I, I mean, I expect that because. You know, anytime you deal with people, you're going to have problems. I mean, if you're expecting no problems as a pastor, you might as well just do another line of work because, you know, just make sure you have a bottle of Witticott right there. No, just kidding. I shouldn't joke about that because I know there's some people that are out in left field and have problems drinking. Sorry about that. Look Look at verse 17. Romans 16, 17. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. That's what I like to do contrary to the teaching which you learned, that's why you wonder one sometimes that' why I, st- I sit out there sometimes one I like to hang out and give uh, Sharon a hard time I don't really like to take her abuse but I like to you know, lo- you know sometimes I like to like hang out there and see what's being said and stuff and just you know I gotta, I gotta keep an eye on you guys I gotta keep an eye on the flock of God I don't want anybody coming in trying to cause dissensions I'd beat him up anyway. So, anyways. Now I urge you, brethren, or send them after John McKinney after him. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, contrary to the teaching. Then look what he says: which you learned, and turn away from them, for such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Now listen to what he says: for the report of your obedience has re- reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. So, that statement, along with the other ones I mentioned in Romans 15, verses 14 and 15, all make it clear that the Roman believers were already, when he asked them, this, when he says accept one another, they were already doing it. So, the present imperative, now we know what the imperative means here, it doesn't mean they weren't doing it. It means that those other passages tell us that they were doing it. And this is how we interpret the, the imperative mood here continue doing it. Continue making it your habit. Not begin to do it. This is, you just saw, one of the rule 101 of hermeneutics. Biblical hermeneutics that even some pastors don't know because they're not being taught this and they're lazy. Now, you pay attention to context. Notice that when we look at the context in which a passage is found and then the context of the Bible, we can, the Bible interprets itself, people. Even the English, you're going to have to look at a Greek word here. You knew and you could know in the English that Paul, when he says, accept one another in Romans 15, 7, he's saying, continue to do that. Because you know from those other statements you just read, we've read in the past and we read some this evening, that they were already doing these things. Because why would he commend them? Why would he rejoice over their obedience if they were not doing this? If they were condemning one another and fighting with one another and judging each other according to non-essentials, why would he say, he he wouldn't say, uh, he wouldn't commend them and say, oh, you're, you're, I rejoice over your obedience. Paul didn't blow smoke at people like some pastors do. I try not to do that. You know, if I tell you, if you're, if you're out in left field, I, 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 I try to say that you're out in left field, like the cat lover over here. I think she's out in left field. Therefore, the present imperative form, poor Sharon, the present imperative form of the verb proslambano indicates that Paul's command is simply giving a reminder to both the weak and the strong to continue doing what they were doing And it was designed to protect their fellowship with God and each other and their testimony among young saved. Now, when I repeat things, people go, oh, I know some people. I know, because I know people. And i learned from other pastors. I know some people don't like when I repeat some things. Too bad. Paul repeated. He said, I reminded you of these things. He wrote from Romans 1.16 to Romans 15.13. He talked about things that they already were taught. Oh, how boring. Paul's talking about something we already know. No, a humble person says, Thank God I'm hearing it. Because you don't always get everything the first shot. And he did these things to protect them. To protect them. It's a safeguard to you. It's a safeguard to you. Peter talked about that. Paul talked about that in Philippians 3. I remind you. I remind you of certain things to protect you. And here and when he says in Romans 15, 7 therefore accept one another or continue to make it your habit to welcome each other into your fellowship he's just trying to protect their fellowship with each other and God and their testimony among the unsaved Mm -hmm. then we have that phrase one another which is one word in the Greek alilon, great word, reciprocal pronoun it's used with reference to the relationship between the weak and the strong with each other it denotes that there was to be a mutual exchange between the two and that the two were to welcome each other into their fellowship. So we should, This should never be... And part of the problem is that Christians don't know what's essential and what's not. And the reason why they don't know what's essential and what's not is they're not taught. Either they don't want to get taught or the guy who's, the pastor ain't teaching them. So it's some, one way or the other, it all comes down to teaching the word of God. You look at some of the stupid, petty things that go on in churches... It's happened in our church. It's happened in all churches because we're all sinners, saved by the grace of God. And the devil likes to do his thing. He's not hanging out at the bar, at uh, uh, the Oasis down in Belle Plaine. Is there a bar down Oasis? He's not down at the Oasis. He's already got those people in his back pocket. He's trying to get into the churches. He's in the churches trying to cause problems and divisions. Guaranteed. Again, not just in these four walls. In your homes, in relationships. So you've got to keep your... Keep your uh, guard up. And we see here that that the, the, there's so many things that are going on in Christianity today. If they studied this passage, if they knew it, they would not divide over some of the things that they divide over. It's absolutely terrible that's going on. It's all because of ignorance of the word of God or failure to apply it after you've been taught or you haven't been taught at all. So these things, you know, a lot of, you know, let me tell you something about the book of Romans. When I'm dead and gone, when they finally bury me up on the hill over there, wherever they put me, or if I'm blown to a mill, whatever, I don't care. When I'm dead in gone, this book of Romans, always study this. Book of Romans. This is the best thing we've ever done here. Guaranteed. I know it's not as exciting as the Day of the Lord series or uh, the other things that we've done like Genesis. It's not a narrative. But what it tells you, it's practical. It's the most practical book in the Bible, I think. Because it's telling you what God has done for you. It tells you how to get saved. It tells you you're a sinner. It tells you how to get saved as a sinner. It tells you what God's done for you. It tells you how to experience the peace of God, how to experience fellowship with God, how to bring glory to God, how to interact with each other. What's the future for the church? What's the future for Israel? It tells you all of that. It's the most practical book, and we're coming to the end of the most practical section in the book of Romans. And it should be taught... Every church should be teaching Romans. Not just... Okay, I'm going to do it on a Sunday. I'm going to teach the first chapter. Oh, boy. How many things are you are going to miss in the first chapter by teaching in one night? Have a little guts. I'm speaking to pastors who might be listening to me in there because there's some that might. Have a little guts and stop kissing your congregation's butt. Yeah, you might lose a few people. You might lose a lot of people. But at least when you stand before Christ... You'll let you. when you put your head on the pillow, and when you stand before Christ, or when you kneel before Christ, or bow before Christ, or you crawl before Christ, you will be able to say have a clear conscience. Because at the end of the day, I have a clear conscience. I, I didn't try to I didn't try to take any money anybody's money in this church. I just try to give you the word of God. That's all I ever cared about, teaching you and giving it to you. And try to give you the full counsel of God as God has told me. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. I just try to give it to you. I'm not the greatest pastor in the world. I'm not the greatest look, one to look at. I stumble over my words. I mispronounce words from time to time. But at the end of the day, I did what I could to, to give you the word of God. And I, I, that's because the Romans, and I don't care to, for the applause of people. And a lot of guys won't teach Romans because they know they're going to lose people. J. Vernon McGee. One of the great Bible teachers who went home to be with the Lord. About he went. He was like one of the guys that really turned me on to the Word of God. And he said, he asked the pat when he was a young pastor. He asked an older pastor, "Why is it when I when I teach Revelation the place is packed out, but when I teach on or when I teach on marriage or something, or, or why is it when I teach Romans the every the place disappears?" He says, he says, Jay. He says, you're learning that. People want their ears tickled And they don't want to put the hard work in They don't want to, they don't want to take They don't want to learn About the difficult and long process of, the, of experience the holiness of God in your life They want their ears tickled, he said And that's what, why pastors won't teach the book There are a lot of pastors that do I'm, I get this whole slew of people I know That are teaching in the book of Romans But they're not doing verse by verse They might be going as a paragraph But that's fine As long as they do, they're teaching the book because it's the practical book, people. It teaches us how to handle each other, with each other. What God is like? I just mentioned before. It's a, so practical. And you know, when we go to the Old Testament, we're going to learn a lot of stuff there. But it, when, all, when, like I said, when I'm dead and gone, we'll look back. Romans was the most practical book we ever, ever studied. It's not. It's a, It's a. It's a t- It's teaching. It's, it's a thesis. It's. It's been called everything. A dissertation. An argument—it's been called all that. It's Paul's presentation of his gospel, is what it is. His gospel message that he taught throughout the churches is right here in Romans. It's the most comprehensive uh, uh, of all the epistles of Paul. It contains the whole—it's it, 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 of all the teaching of the apostles in Paul. No book is like Romans because Romans gives us the plan of God from beginning to end. So I just want you to know that. I know some people don't, like the, don't always like the way this book is and it's too difficult, but Paul had a hard time too. He, they, they thought he was crazy and a little tough to listen to. Read the end of Second Peter. This exchange, when this word, an, one another, that word there in the Greek talks about an exchange between the weak and the strong with each other and that this exchange is the proper, appropriate, and obligatory response by them to each other since both were created by God according to his image redeemed at the cross, justified through faith alone and Christ alone, and fellow members of the body of Christ. We should accept one another. Who's better than one another? How can we say, have cliques? How can we have, oh, I won't hang out with that person. We're all equal before the cross. We all get saved on the merits of Christ. Nobody got in on their own merits. Who's getting off on being arrogant? Who who has any right to be arrogant? No one. We were all saved through faith alone and Christ alone. We're all members of the body of Christ. We were all redeemed at the cross. We're all created in the image of God. Nobody's better than anybody else. We're all equal at the cross. So we should welcome one another. It's appropriate and we're obliged to do that. It's obligatory. Now, this mutual exchange is the result of the Roman believers experiencing fellowship with God by operating in God's love towards one another. It's an expression of that love. What do we learn in Romans 14 and in the first six verses of Romans 15? What was he saying to the church? What was the one thing that he wanted to get across? Anybody know? Take a shot. What was he trying to tell us? Baby, Jared, love one another. That's what, he was, that's what his teaching is there. If they love one another, they'll accept one another because love is patient, tolerant, Kind. You know, they read read 1 Corinthians 13. And they always read it at weddings. But nobody really listens to it because that's why you have divorces left and right. Because if they read that, they understood what that meant. They wouldn't get divorces. They would be loving each other. They'd be patient with each other. This word, this one another, it talks about an exchange that's based upon experiencing the love of God. Operating in God's love. Then he says, just as. Look, he says... Therefore, accept one another just as. That's the word. It's the, actually the causal use of the conjunction kathos. It's used here to introduce a statement that presents the basis or the reason why the weak and the strong are obligated to continue making it a habit of welcoming one another into their fellowship. It can be used two different ways. It could be translated just as or because. Just as, it means it's drawing a comparison. It's introducing a comparative clause. Or because... Introducing a a causal clause. Presenting the reason for the previous statement. So, right here, what he's saying is, he's saying, therefore, accept one another, not just as, but because. Therefore, accept one another. Why? Because Christ also accepted us. (laughs) So, they're to do so. They're to accept one another because Christ welcomed both the weak and the strong in his fellowship through faith in him. And if Christ accepted both the weak and the strong, then we should accept, the weak and the strong should accept one another. Simple. That's what he's saying. As I said before, the word is usually employed in a comparative sense and in our context that would indicate that Paul wants both the weak and the strong to continue making it a habit of welcoming one another into their fellowship just as Christ welcomed both groups into his fellowship through faith in him. However, the emphasis of Paul here is not that the weak and the strong imitate Christ by accepting one another, but that they accept one another because Christ accepted them. Thus, they're obligated to accept one another because Christ accepted them. So he's saying again to the both groups if Christ accepted you, you should accept one another. Because his evaluation of us is the most important. And if he's accepted the weak through faith in him, and he's accepted the strong through faith in him, and if he's accepted the King James guy and the person who does it is not a King James guy, if he accepted the one who wants to wear a hat and the one that doesn't want her to wear a hat, if he's accepted the one who loves cats and the one that hates the cats, if he has done all that, if he has accepted us, both groups, then why we aren't accept, We have to, we're obligated to accept one another because is our decision better than his decision? No, he is, most, his, what his view of us, should, his, his view of both the weak and the strong should be the weak and the, view strong, weak and the strong's view of each other. Okay? Christ, when he says, he goes on, he says, therefore, accept one another. Because, why? Because Christ also accepted us. Christ, there is the word Christos, Christos, and we've seen it so many times. Here it's emphasizing the saviorhood of Jesus Christ. He, that he's the promised Savior of all mankind, that he's unique as the incarnate Son of God, and guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit as the servant of the Father. The word accepted there is again proslumbano It said Christ also accepted us. Again, it's uh, this time it's the arist middle indicative form of proslumbano and uh, it once again means to welcome into one's fellowship. But this time, as we can see, it's used with the Lord Jesus Christ as its subject and the weak and the strong as its object. And then we have the the phrase that's going to take a little bit of explanation. It's really easy. Look at the verse. Therefore, accept one another. Why? Because Christ also accepted us. Then it says, to the glory of God. Now, when I first looked at this, I looked at this and I said, oh, so the glory of God is connected to Christ also accepted us. It's not. It's not at all. It's actually... He's saying, therefore, accept one another for the glory of God. Not because Christ accepted us for the glory of God, though that's a true statement. His emphasis here is upon the Roman believers operating in love and glorifying God that way. That's his emphasis. So to the glory of God indicates that Paul's purpose for wanting the Romans to obey this command to accept one another to continuing welcoming each other, is that it would glorify the Father in the sense that it would manifest the love of God. So he's saying, if you accept one another, that means you have to operate in God's love. If you do that, that's glorifying God. In what way? You're manifesting God's love in the, in the ministry. And when weak and the strong are operating in love toward each other, then we're manifesting an aspect of God's character and nature, which is his attribute of love. So this prepositional phrase to the glory of God is connected to the the statement accept one another at the beginning of the verse as I noted before indicating that the Roman believers were to continue welcoming each other for the purpose of glorifying glorifying the Father in the sense that it would manifest the love of God. If it were connected to the last clause when it says if it were connected to Christ also accepted us that would indicate that the Roman believers would be giving the uh, father glory as expressed through praising him recognizing him worshiping him honoring him giving thanks to him because they were declared justified through faith in Christ there are several factors that indicate that that's not the case that to the glory of god is not connected to that phrase Christ also accepted us first of all the phrase uh, welcome one, accept one another therefore accept one another that phrase that that command is resuming the thought from verse 6. Secondly, it wouldn't make sense that Paul would persuade the Romans to obey the command to welcome each other, accept one another, by noting the Lord Jesus Christ glorified the Father, by welcoming them into fellowship with himself when they were declared justified through faith in Christ. So he's saying, what I'm saying here is, it doesn't make sense if he says, accept one another, and because Christ accepted us? No, we're to accept one another because it glorifies God. Now, it's true that Christ accepted us. It's true. But that's not his emphasis here. He wants them to glorify one another and you do that by accepting one another. Rather, Paul it makes much better sense here as I noted before for Paul to persuade the Romans to obey his command to accept one another by telling them that this would bring glory to the Father. Though it is true that Christ accepting us glorified the Father and that He accepted us so that we could glorify the Father. The context here indicates that Paul wants the Romans to obey his command so that they might glorify the Father in the sense that by accepting one another, they would manifest the love of God in their relationship with each each other. And remember what Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, if you love one another as I have loved you, by doing this, all men, the unsaved, See that you're my disciples. The mark of a disciple of Christ, not all Christians are disciples of Christ. Let me repeat that. Not all Christians are disciples of Christ. There is some that a disciple, when Jesus used that term, the apostles, a disciple was a student of the teacher and he imitated his teacher. Not all Christians are doing that today, manifested by the fact that they're ignorant of the Word of God. They, couldn't t- they could tell you the lyrics to Mercy Me, but they couldn't tell you where Nehemiah is. You could fake some Christians out by going, hey, where's the book of Hezekiah? Oh, I don't know. Well, there's no Hezekiah. He was a king in Israel, you knucklehead. You know, that's sad. Well, love, discipleship, is marked by love. Operating in God's love. Tolerating one another, because God and Christ has tolerated us. Forgiving one another. Because God in Christ has forgiven us through Christ. We're to be patient and pray for one another, just as God in Christ has been patient with us. So, Paul's emphasis is to the Romans is that if you if you weak and strong can overlook your differences with regards to your convictions that are really not essential. You say you can eat all foods, you say no. You worship the Sabbath, you worship on the Sabbath, you you observe that day, you don't. All right, all these things or in our day and age you you believe in what you think water baptism should be a ritual you don't you want to study the king James you don't you want to wear a hat you don't uh, on and on Ad infinitum, it goes on right well we need to we need to see that that is not we need to if we are patient with each other and tolerant with each other and not make an issue of those things and operate in love and, 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 and let everybody have their 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 convictions related to non-essentials. And operate in love. You're going to manifest God's love in the life of the church. And that's how you draw people to your church. You know, people have these crazy ideas. I get these crazy people. You read these crazy books of these, these guys. How to ch- grow a church. You know, grow a church. God grows the church. But these guys, they have the Madison Avenue techniques. You know what God's way is? The early church attracted people to it. The first century church because they loved each other. That's why people wanted to become part of their fellowship. These people love each other, and it's a love that is not of this world. They even love their enemies. They pray for their enemies. They pray for President Obama. I mean, they, they pray for Hillary. They pray for the Republicans. I'm gonna throw that in there. All these things, that's what attracts people. It's not not telling oh, Pastor Bill. Oh, he's the, you know we no it's that it's not about me. Thank God I don't think anybody's doing that. But if somebody's doing that, stop! It's not about me. It's about Christ, and we show people that we belong to Christ, that we're His disciples, that we're His mataphates. That means a student who's disciplined academically. That's what it meant. They followed Jesus everywhere around. What did he do? He He taught. He taught. He taught. He taught. He taught. Every day he taught them. And you demonstrate that you are His disciple by the fact that you apply His teaching. You operate in love. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to love each other the way God wants us to, the way He loves. Now, let me give you my translation and then a co- closing comments. Romans fifteen seven. Therefore, all of you continue making it your habit of welcoming one another into your, into your fellowship because the one and only Christ also welcomed all of you and to fellowship with himself for the purpose of glorifying God the Father. So to summarize what we've learned here this evening in Romans 15, 7, Paul issues a command that's directed at both the weak and the strong. It's a self-evident inference or conclusion based upon his teaching in Romans 14:1 to Romans 15:6. It's also verse 7 of Romans 15, a summarization of what he taught in that passage and Romans 14, 1 to Romans 15, 6. He commands them both to continue making it their habit of welcoming one another into their fellowship because the one and only Christ also welcomed all of them into fellowship with himself the moment they were declared justified through faith in him. The purpose for which he wants them to obey this command is that it would glorify the Father. He wants them to welcome each other and accept one another because it would glorify the Father in the sense that it would manifest... The love of God So therefore Accept one another Have fellowship with each other Don't avoid each other Love each other Why? Because Christ accepted us He accepted us He accepted both weak and strong So therefore if he did that We're obligated to accept one another And Why do I want you to accept one another? Because it glorifies God That's what we're here for If If We're not here to glorify God Then you're wasting your time And I'm wasting my time if my job is to glorify if, if my job if 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 I don't glorify God as a pastor I wasted my time. It's you read Paul's and that's true of anything we all do. You read Paul's writing, he was oh first he said it in Corinthians we read this week. It's not about him. It's not about the pastor. It's and I'm re- working on a passage in Romans 15 uh, 18 and 19 where he talks about it was Christ through the power of the spirit Christ was accomplishing his work through me. If we can't say that, we've wasted our time. Think about this. Think about this. Look at all the things that people do in the world up to this period in history. How many people have said, all to the glory of God? No matter what it takes. How many people in the world have done that? Not many people. Okay? At the end of the day, only the people who did what Christ told them to do and what the Father said to do are truly got it and understand the purpose of life is to love God to glor- and you glorify God when you do that you manifest God's character and nature. If we're not here to glorify God, and if we're if I'm here to try to get a big following as a pastor or to get a big name for myself or to get um, to get accepted by my contemporaries, I'm wasting my time. I'm stupid. I'm stupid, as they say in Rhode Island. You get rocks in your head. You're stupid, huh? Hey. I don't want to be like that. And I don't want you to be like that. So, what God's telling me, I'm telling you. Because all it matters is glorifying God. Whether we serve in the prep school, we're, do, we're cleaning the church, teaching a Bible class, teaching a prep school class, on the internet, whatever we're doing, working on the CDs, preparing, the mailing, shipping out the books for, to people, whatever you do in the ministry, serving as a deacon in the church, whatever you're doing. It's all to the glory of God. It's not about you and me. It's not about... And as a church, the churches that glorify God are the ones that get it. In glorifying God, it doesn't... You, you, can't, you can't fool God, as we saw last evening. A lot of people sit there and praise God. Meanwhile, Becky Sue and, Be- and, and, and Peggy Sue are having a fight and mental attitude sins with each other. And then they're praising God in song. It'd be like me up here going, "Well, I have a problem. I have a problem with uh, Sharon. I have a really mental attitude sin because she likes cats, and I'm up here singing. And I, meanwhile, I'm thinking Sharon's a jerk. Blah blah blah. (laughs) There are people who do that in churches. Who are they kidding? Do you think they're glorifying God? No, no, because their heads are not in line with the teaching of Christ. They're not filled with the Spirit. The Spirit's not controlling their soul. It's their sin nature and the devil So we, we, It comes down to love Love starts off with, a, with the way God thinks We need to think how think God thinks So that we can act like God acts And speak like God speaks The way the Lord wants us to speak And it comes down to our attitude Toward the word of God And what the spirit says to us And the word of God Our response to the word If it's obedience We'll bring glory to God if it's, diso- if it's disobedience, we've failed. And that's the, tra- the greatest tragedy. So let's close in prayer. Hey, you've been a great audience. Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for everyone here. And we just pray that this class would be a blessing to your people. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.